Lord Jesus. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 11. If you're getting the CD tonight, you will find it has a title on there that says, I think it says, Victory Over Your Flesh. We'll get into that next week. This may have something related to it. Before we went away on vacation, which was about two weeks ago, I, I, was, I got to the point, and I rarely get to that point, where I don't want to be around people. I was getting to the point where I was getting dangerous to be around. I, I have a, I'm a very generally an even disposition person, but I was starting to snap at my wife. I was snapping at the cat. And I, I could just, I was getting, I could tell I needed to get away. And, and we got away and got some rest, and I came back, and two days later, I was ready to snap again. I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. I was in here today praying, God, what is this? I've just come back from vacation. And, 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 and realize that there's a spiritual battle going on. And I've talked to other people that are feeling stretched and strained and pulled, and just their, their, their nerves are being tested. And, 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 I mean, there's some just stuff you go through in life. And nowhere in this Bible does it promise you that once you come to Christ, the devils go away, the path of your life is strewn with rose petals, you know, and just, you know. No, no, in many cases it gets more difficult. It gets more difficult. But while I was in here, I was in here a lot today praying, just complaining to God. No, I wasn't really complaining. I was just asking if I could quit, (laughs) threatening to quit. Asking if I could preach one of Lafayette Scales messages, which is everybody's going to hell, including you. <laughs> you know, it's okay to get real with God. It's okay to be real with God. And I was in here just before the service, and right about over there, and something went off in me. And I said, Devil, you're not getting me out of here. You threw everything at me before to get me out of here. Whatever you're throwing at me now is not getting me out of here. And the moment I said that, something went off of me. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Is that what I told you? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 2. (laughs) verse 10 now whom you forgive anything I also forgive and if indeed I forgive what he's done is he's correcting this church if indeed I've forgiven anyone anything I have forgiven that that one for your sake in the presence of Christ lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his Devices. There's two basic mistakes that people make about the devil. One is to talk about him too much. He loves that. He loves attention. And the other is to ignore him and pretend as if he doesn't really exist. Jesus didn't do that. The devil is real. If he's not, Jesus went through a temptation that wasn't real. Because my Bible tells me that the first thing the Holy Spirit did once Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit was to lead him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus, as part of his preparation for living in the flesh, had to be to learn how to handle the flesh under the temptation of Satan. 
Now, we don't need the Spirit of God to lead us to that place. <laughs> we find it all by ourselves. <laughs> In fact, He'll find you. I've known people that went along in their life. It was just wonderful till they got saved. And they said, it's as if all hell broke loose against them. I said, it probably did. Because while you were in his family, you were no threat to him. He didn't need hell to break loose against you. It was already in you. But once you become a child of God, you're marked. You're an enemy of his. Now, some people hear that and they get afraid. Some people are afraid to talk about the devil. I don't want to talk about him. As if talking about him sometimes means he's going to now attack you because you've talked about him. He loves to have you talk about him. He loves all the attention you can give him. What he doesn't want for you to do is discover his devices. And that's why Paul says here, I do not want you ignorant of his devices. So we're going to do something I don't do very often. I don't talk about the devil very much. I don't want to give him a lot of attention. I don't want to give him a lot of credit. The more you talk about something, the more you think about it, the more faith you get in it. But there are times we need to acknowledge where the source of the difficulty has come from and then recognize that we have victory over that enemy. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I do mean chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul, this is, if I could, if I could, had to have only one book on a desert island of all the Bible or any other book, it would be the book of Ephesians because it contains to me the whole, the, the basics of the gospel are in here. You can have your own favorite book. It's not my favorite book. My favorite book's Romans. But it contains everything I would need to deal with the, the, with the desert island <laughs> or with life. But having gone through all kinds of things, first of all, the first three chapters are basically talking about who they are, what God has done for them. The next two and a half chapters are correcting some things. And now having gone through talking to husbands about their wives and wives about their husbands and then children about their parents and then servants or employees about their masters or their employers, the right kind of attitudes, having gone through all this, He now says these things, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, so we know he's talking to the church, be strong in the Lord. So here's the first thing we learn. In fighting the issues of life, most of the time we get worn out, frazzled, and frustrated is because we're trying to fight in our own strength. And if you're doing that, God will let you try that until you run out. And if you think you're above that, you need to read 2 Corinthians all the way through because the Apostle Paul tried the same thing. That's what he wrote the book about. And he ran out of what he could do and had to finally say to God, three times he asked God to take the devil away from him. That's basically what it was. It wasn't sickness and disease. It was Satan, a messenger from Satan sent to buffet him. Buffeting means come up against him. Every time he turned around to do something for God. See, there are times the devil comes at you because you've opened a door and you've let him come in. So if you're violating God's word, if you're violating his commandments, if you're not walking in love, forget this stuff. You need to close the door. It's like trying to swat flies and you got the doors open and a pile of garbage on the floor of your kitchen. 
before you're trying to kill the flies, stop what's attracting them. You're going to wear yourself out swatting flies if you've got garbage on your floor and the door's open and you're letting the flies in. So you've got to find out how they're coming in before you start killing them. Otherwise, you're going to be spending all your energy. And that's why some of you are worn out. You're trying to kill flies that you're letting in. You know, we get people come to us with issues in their life. And then under the discerning of the Spirit, we'll say, well, this is maybe, you know, are you doing these things? Well, yeah, but, I, you know, it's okay. But God's Word says, thou shalt not. And somehow I think, yeah, but I can get away with it. You don't understand. When you violate God's Word, you're opening a door. It's not to be afraid, but you're opening a door. If you keep willfully sinning, you're stepping out from underneath God's commandment and God's protection. Just like tonight, if it's raining and you just walk with, you know, people walk in, have an umbrella in their hand, and they're soaking wet, you say, well, how come you didn't use the umbrella? Well, it didn't work. In order for it to keep you dry, you have to open it and put it over your head. You've got to stay underneath it. And the same is true of God's promises. You don't just read them, you then have to do them. Well, we're not under the law. That's not a law. It's a principle. Any more than breathing is not a law either. But if you don't do it, you'll die. It's not a law. It's a principle. And so the first thing you've got to do is make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now, don't go on some witch hunt, you know. You usually know... Because inside of you is the Holy Ghost. And one of his jobs is to... Something's wrong here. So usually we know. Most of the time when someone comes to us, talk to us, they know what they're doing wrong. They're just hoping we're going to endorse it. All right. Which we won't. I'll give you a clue. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. His might. His might. If we get to it tonight, we'll see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means of our own flesh, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So the first thing we see that in order to contend with the devil, we've got to make sure we know whose strength we're fighting in and whose weapons we're using. Now remember the first scripture, it says not to be ignorant of his devices. Notice what Paul did not say. Sometimes the most important things I'll learn is through what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, my brethren, don't be ignorant of the devil's power. Does he? Because he doesn't have any power over you if you're in Christ. He's powerful. Don't ever, don't ever be deceived that he isn't powerful. 
he's, he's not as powerful as God. It's no contest. I did a message years ago, and I may do it here sometime, where I, I did the, 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 the showdown, the gunfight at the OK Corral. And I said, this is often how... We're just going to... We're just going to talk tonight, okay? Is that okay? Often when we're contending with the devil, we see it as like a gunfight. Remember that message? It's the devil, uh, it's me against the devil. So you've got the devil over here, and he's big and powerful, you know, because he's the devil, right? That's why we don't want to get him too upset, because he's the devil, he's powerful, all right? And then we've got God over here, because we're being strong in the Lord. And we've got God over here, and maybe where the devil has one six-shooter, God has two. Right? So we kind of see them as if it's some kind of an equal fight or it's close. In reality, you've got the devil over here with a squirt gun. <laughs> and you've got God over here in a laser tank. Now imagine if you're sitting on a laser tank, or whatever, whatever the biggest one is, and your enemy's over here with no armor and a squirt gun. Are you going to feel intimidated? That's the reality of your warfare with him if you're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You see... The devil wants you to look at the problems in your life from his perspective. He wants you down on the floor looking up at this huge, insurmountable problem, hoping that if you can get enough strength, you can get up off the floor and fight him. And if you fight in your own strength and your own will and your own determination, you're no match for him. He's been around a lot longer than you have. We saw he started back in the garden. But my Bible tells me here we're to be strong in the Lord. The first step to being strong in the Lord is to get the Lord's perspective on your problem and not the devil's perspective. See, when God's looking at your problem, He's way up here looking down on it. I don't mean He's not involved in it, but from up here, it's not the biggest problem in the world. It's kind of the view that the astronauts first got when they got into space. Remember the first pictures they showed back of the earth? Now let's take your problem, which you've been living with for so long. I don't mean your husband or your wife. <laughs> whatever it is, finances, health, whatever it is, or a, con- a group of them. To you, because you've been living with it, thinking about it, talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, 
talking about it? Getting other people to talk about it? And faith comes by hearing. And hearing. The more you hear talk about your problem, the more faith you have in the problem. That's one of his devices. So the bigger that problem is in your eyes, the more overwhelming it is, especially when you compare it with your strength. But when you turn to God and you begin to look at your problem from His perspective in terms of how big it is to Him, Let's, we, we don't know how to do but let's at least go up into outer space because we've seen pictures of the earth from outer space. I challenge you to find your problem. To locate it. That's what it's like to God. And we come to, oh God, I don't know if you can do anything about this. And the God we're talking to created the earth by saying, let there be. How big is your God? Is he bigger than the problems? He is infinitely, infinite. Not only that, it's not the first time he's seen him. Well, how do I do that? How do I get strong in the Lord and not in my strength? By spending more time in here than you do in your problem. Really, I challenge you to do this. Think back on today. That wasn't that long ago. And and total up tonight, an estimate, because it's hard to do, how much time you spent thinking about your problems and talking about your problems, and then compare that with how much time you spent in what God says about it. I would venture to guess that in almost all of our situations, it's well less than 50%, maybe 20%. I mean, it'd be very interesting if you really were able to keep a track of how much time you spend, not reading it, but meditating on it and thinking about God's Word. Because I would be almost fully assured that it's less than 10% of the time you spent thinking about what's wrong in most of our cases. It shouldn't be shocking then that we have more faith in the problem than we do in God's answer. It would be like a star athlete 
Olympic athlete. The athletes that do the decathlon, well, they do ten separate events in two days. Training. Ten hours a day. But never eating. You know one of the things the marathon runners do the night before they run 24 miles? They had a bowl of spaghetti. Carbs. To be converted into protein and energy. What you put in your body determines what your body is going to be able to do. What you put in your soul and in your spirit and in your mind determines what the spirit of God's going to have to work with in order for you to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Now, if that's the beginning, the critical beginning to being able to wage this warfare, don't you think the enemy knows that? I mean, Jesus tried to get this across to His disciples because in Matthew 13, and it's the same stories in the other, two of the other Gospels, Jesus taught a parable of the sower. And the sower is, a, is the God the Father. The seed is the Word of God. And the soil is the heart of the believer that it's sown into. And it's sown into, I think, three or four different types of soil producing four different types of results. In one of them, it didn't take root at all because it was sown on hard ground. That's someone that's not a believer. Don't even get in. The next one, it was on soil, but it was very thin. It took root, and the roots didn't get in very deep because the layer of soil wasn't very thick, and it grew until the sun came out. And when the scorching sun came on that plant, because the roots didn't go down into the water and into the soil very deeply, it burned up and it died off. The next one, there was depth to the soil, but there were other things in the soil. There were thorns and thistles. And so when the plant grows up, the thorns and the thistles also grow up. And although something's growing in that person, what else is growing in there chokes off and keeps it from bearing fruit. And if you read the account in Matthew, and I think it's in Luke, Jesus in essence says after this, if you can understand this parable, then you can understand everything else that I teach. In other words, I take that as Jesus saying, this is the most important parable that I'm teaching. Why? Because it teaches us how to receive everything else that he taught. And so Satan, wise to this, understands that his whole battle, he doesn't care about you. What he cares about is this word getting planted in your heart because he knows what it will do. And so he will do whatever is in his trickery to stop this word from getting into your heart and growing. If he can't stop it from getting into your heart, then he will try to choke it off with, Jesus says, the tares and the thorns and the thistles are the cares of this life. Which is why Jesus says elsewhere, be not anxious 
for what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Don't you know your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things? Look at the lilies of the field. They grow up in all their splendor, and yet they don't last very long. But God sows these seeds. And look at the birds of the air. They're not running around worrying about what they're going to eat. God feeds them. If God so feeds the birds of the air and clothes the grass of the field, won't he do much more for you, his child? Therefore, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added unto you. Take no thought for tomorrow. That doesn't mean you can't plan, but he means take no worrisome thought for tomorrow. The devil does not want you dealing in today. Because today is the only thing you can do anything about. He wants you either in the past, because it's gone, or he wants you looking into the future, because you can't do anything about it yet. He doesn't want you living in today because God is the God of now. Now, we started by saying this, that to a Christian, Satan has no... He's powerful, but he has no power over you unless you... Give it to him. I'll prove to you he has no power over you. Because if there's anything he would have used his power to stop, it was you getting saved. If there's anything he didn't want to happen in your life, it was for you to give your life to Christ. But he didn't succeed, did he? Well, if he couldn't stop that before you were saved... Why do we think he can stop us now after we're saved? You see, before we were in his kingdom. But Colossians 1.13 says when you came to Christ, he delivered you out of the kingdom or domain of darkness, which was his realm, and he, God, transferred you over into the kingdom of of his beloved son. Jesus said to Pilate, he said, don't you understand? I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this earth. If my kingdom was of this earth, then my servants would have come and delivered me. But I am not a king of this earth. I am the king of another kingdom. And you and I belong in that kingdom once we come to Christ. And Satan has no authority or power in God's kingdom, and that's the kingdom to which we belong. On the other hand, Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you authority over Satan and over all the power over the enemy, so that nothing shall in any way harm you. Well, then how come he harms us? Because we don't exercise the authority that we've been given. Well, pastor, I did. I said, in the name of Jesus, this can't happen. And it happened. Did you believe when you spoke 
that he would have to obey you? Or were you just hoping? Or were you just trying something out because it worked for somebody else that you read in a book? We're not ignorant of his devices. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might so that you may be able to withstand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. So he's going to come at you with his wiles, his tricks, his deceits, his devices, and our whole job is to stand. You got the easy job. All we got to do is stand. Just stand. For we do not wrestle, here's one of his devices, we do not struggle or wrestle against flesh and blood. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to your left. Go ahead. Then I want you to look to your right. If you saw a human being and they're wearing flesh and blood, they're not your enemy. Husbands, she's not your enemy. Wives, he's not your enemy. Daughters-in-law, pastors, <laughs> they're not your enemy. For we don't. Now we're now we're learning to be strong in the Lord. Now, if you want to be strong in yourself, then you wrestle against flesh and blood, but it won't get you anywhere except tired and beaten and bruised. But what do we wrestle against? Principalities and against powers and against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There are demonic spirits that are on assignment to buffet you and harass you just like they were the Apostle Paul, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. Amen. And they're buffeting you with one purpose in mind to get you to quit. They don't come up to you with a big sign that says you're not going to make it. Quit. They come at you with thoughts. They come at you with words through people. But it's not... Oh, listen to me. Listen to me. This is worth the price of admission tonight. And if you don't think so, we'll give you twice your money back. <laughs> Did it cost you to get in here? Not your tithe. <laughs> listen, if you get this one principle, it will set you free. Now, don't argue with it, because you can't get it if you argue with it. It's not what someone does to you or what says to you that determines what you can do. It's not what someone does to you or what someone says to you, listen to me, that determines how you feel. It's what you do with what someone does to you or says to you. It's what you think about what they do to you and what they say to you. That means the control and sole determination of what people can do to you is in your hands, 
not in their hands. There's an old expression that we use as an excuse. Boy, they sure knew where to push my button. I'll save you a lot of trouble. I've looked all over. I've only got one button and God gave it to me. And it won't do anything if you push it. To say people push my button, what we're literally saying is they do something that sets me off. No, they do something that gives you the opportunity to be set off, but you choose whether you're going to do that or not. Now, some of us have a lot of practice. And we practice it, it's become such a habit, we don't think much about it, but I'm telling you, by the Word of God, you've been given that control, nobody else. How do I know that? Because the Bible says you were made in God's image. And no one makes God do what He doesn't want to do. And listen to me, and God cannot make you do what you don't want to do. If God can't make you do what you don't want to do, then nobody else can. Because there's nobody more powerful than God. Now the reason we don't like it is it takes away all the excuses. And it puts the responsibility back on me where God gave it to begin with. But that's good news. Because if it, if it was up to Joe Trembley whether my life got straightened out, I'm dependent on him. Or if it were up to my wife, if she's the one that controlled how I felt and what I did, then my future, my well-being is dependent on her. It's not in my hands. And as wonderful as she is and as much as she loves me, what if she has a day where she's overwhelmed? Now I'm in trouble. It's good news that it's in your hands. That means you can choose today to be free. Because the Bible says when you came to Christ, His victory was given to you. Hebrews. See if I can find this. Just bear with me a minute here. Well, this is good. This wasn't the one. Hebrews 2. Verse 14. First Hebrews chapter 2. Not second Hebrews. <laughs> Somebody's out there with like, first Hebrews, first Hebrews, where is that? Verse 14. Inasmuch as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death, that through his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 
First John chapter 3 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, or brought to the earth, that He might destroy, destroy the works of the evil one. Colossians says that He destroyed Him and made a public show of Him, triumphing over Him in it. Verse 15, And release those, now he's talking about us, who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's what he did when he went to the cross. Now the verse I'm looking for, and somebody may know off the top of his head, I know it, if I were home I'd know it. Oh, here it is, it's chapter 10. Verse 12. By this, that's the sacrifice, having made offering one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting. Now, what we're just, we just read that he destroyed the devil who had the power of death, and that was the source of our fear and our bondage. We just saw that for the purpose was the Son of God come to this earth that he might destroy the works of of the evil one. Did he come to the earth? Did he die? Then he destroyed the power of the devil. Then how come I'm having to deal with him? Verse 13, 12. But this man, having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. Now in the Bible, when someone sits down, he does it because his work's done. On the earth, we do it because it's time for a break. (laughs) But in heaven, they only do it when the work's done. So when he sat down, that signifies that his work, his work was done. Sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, from the time he sat down, from the time he he defeated Satan's power, he was from that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said, I thought it says that the devil was defeated. He was. Satan has been defeated by our Lord. But the rest of the battle is being finished out. Now, we've studied before in Hebrew, in, in Ephesians and several other places where it says that we are the body of Christ and he is the head of the body so this is telling us the head has defeated the head of hell and our head because he's finished is seated but the rest of him his body is still at work until we make the rest of his enemies who are underneath the authority of the one he defeated our heads footstool that's your job and my job but the battle's been won in the old battles style the commander would be at the back whether on a horse or on a hill 
observing the battle. When it got to the critical point where he recognized that the battle was in essence won, there would be some kind of cry that went out. Some things I've read said that, that a cry, the Greek cry that went out, was tetelestai, which is the Greek word for it is finished. Remember on the cross, Jesus about to give up his spirit said it's finished. It's over. But when the general would cry that out, there may be days more of fighting and skirmishing still going on. Even in the American Revolution, after Cornwallis surrendered his army to Washington, there were fights that went on for several years later on, skirmishes that went on. But the battle, the war, was won. Now, don't you think it makes a difference in the morale of the soldiers to know I'm handling minor skirmishes, but the war's already been won? If you're not sure that it's been won, go to the back of the book, because <laughs> it'll tell you. <laughs> it'll tell you that the war's been won. So Ephesians is telling us, though we don't wrestle against our wives or our husbands or our teachers or our boss or our pastor or our in-laws or outlaws or neighbors that are just, you know, their dog runs across your yard every morning and, and does what you don't want him to do in your yard and you're getting mad at him and that's a nasty person that sits at the cubicle next to you at work and God get me out of here and God may actually have you there. Revolutionary thought for them. Here's a weird thought. God may actually bring some into your life that instead of blessing you, irritates you. <gasps> God would do that? Because it may be an occasion for you to learn to walk in something that you wouldn't walk in if everybody around you was as sweet and lovely as you are. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. See, a deceiver wants you to fight the wrong enemy. A deceiver wants you to fight the wrong enemy. So World War II was getting near the end. And the Allies were preparing an invasion of Europe. Germany, Hitler knew that the invasion was coming, and the big issue to him was where was it going to come? One theory was going to come on the northern shores of, uh, on the southern shores down around Italy and down around what they call the soft underbelly of Europe. And one of the devices that the Allies used, they knew that the Germans weren't sure where it was coming. So the Allies had several strategies to make them think they were going to land on the underside when in reality they were going to land on the beach of Normandy because it forced the German army to be divided in its resistance. So we were using devices to fool the enemy so that they would present all their defenses where we weren't going to come 
so that where we did come, it would be unprotected. And that's what the devil has been doing with you. He's got you busy fighting flesh and blood, thinking if I could just get that person straightened out, get them to move somewhere else, get them to be sweet like I am, or whatever it is, that everything would be okay. Not recognizing that the issue is not them, it's the spirit that's using them. Now, that doesn't mean you go to work tomorrow yelling and screaming and casting devils out of your people next to you because they'll probably get a call here tomorrow saying, would you please call Butler Hospital because one of your parishioners is incarcerated here. You have to use some wisdom. Notice what Paul's instructions are. It's not to cast them out of your wife or your neighbor. It's to stand against the wiles of the devil. Well, how can I stand against that onslaught? Because I know the book says, if I don't quit, I win. I know the battle's already being already been won. I got this picture sometime, and it help, has helped me in the past. You've got to understand this about the devil. This is what Jesus said about him. He's a liar. And he's the father of lies. That means he's not limited by the truth. He'll use the truth, but he'll use it to tell you a lie. So here you are with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember he says, until my enemies been made my footstool. So when you stand on God's word, you've got your foot, and since you're part of his body, it's his foot, on the neck of Satan. And while your foot's on his neck, he's looking up at you, telling you he's got you defeated. (laughs) This is in essence what's happening. Why? Because his only defense is to get you to back off, thinking you're never going to win, it's all over with you, everybody's against you, you've done this for so long and you still haven't succeeded, I'm still here, you haven't gotten rid of me, so forth, so that you'll quit and back off and let him up. Be strong in the Lord, not yourself, and in the power of His might, not your might. Later on, he goes on and says, and having done everything else, stand. Don't cower. Don't run away. You just stand. And as long as you stand there, He can't defeat you. Because you're not standing in your strength. And they'll tell you, but you've been doing this for weeks. You've been doing it for years. And He'll tell you how tired you are. You're t- and that's what He's been battling. Oh, John, you're so tired. You can't do this anymore. And then if I'm not careful, I'll start saying, I'm so tired. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And he doesn't have to do anything then. I'm doing it to myself. 
But you take God's word that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Quote the scriptures back to Him. That's what Jesus did. Because He was telling Jesus why He couldn't do it either. Imagine that, telling Jesus why He couldn't do it. Don't be surprised if He tells you that you're not going to make it either. Because you're the same body. And having done all to stand. I'm going to close with two other scriptures that basically say the same thing. He, uh, J- James chapter 4. Verse 6, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care. How much of your care? Not just the important ones. All. Because that's one of His devices, is the cares of this world. All your cares upon Him. That's God. For He cares for you. Be sober and vigilant and alert because your adversary... Oh, we have an adversary not flesh and blood, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, devouring everyone he encounters. That's not what it says. It says your adversary walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he's like a roaring lion coming up to you and asking permission to devour you. So nobody would ever do that. We do it all the time. Because he doesn't come up in a lion suit and ask permission to bite your arm off. He comes at you through flesh and blood. And he knows just the flesh and blood to come at you with. Because he's watched you your whole life. He knows where your tendencies are in your flesh. And he has somebody assigned, and it's probably a dear Christian. That doesn't mean they're spirit, they're demon possessed. They're just, listen to them. Because demons can only work through our flesh. So he has to take a Christian who is more into their flesh than their spirit, and he just fires off their flesh and they fire off their mouth and now he's poked you like a roaring lion says would you let me devour you and he wants to devour you with envy and jealousy and strife because James says earlier those are his weapons because those are the not the, they're the wisdom of this world. It says they're demonic. Envy, jealousy, and strife are demonic. There means they're weapons of demons. So when you find yourself being tempted to be jealous or envious, you need to recognize there's a demon spirit trying to ask you to use you to get at somebody. And when you get at somebody, 
it's going to come back at you also. Be not ignorant of His... We are in a war whether we like it or not. Before World War I, all the other wars were basically fought out on battlefields by professional soldiers. What was different in World War II is the professional soldiers brought the battlefield to the cities and the civilians. And whether they liked being in the war or not, whether they signed up for it or not, didn't matter. They woke up and found themselves on a battlefield. And you and I are on a battlefield, whether we like it or not. And the best way, the necessary way, so that you're not consumed by it, is to recognize it and take up your weapons and fight. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. It's not striking back at somebody, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. What are those weapons? Prayer. What did Jesus say to do when somebody spitefully uses you? Pray for them. That's a weapon. In Romans chapter 12 at the end, it says if somebody does something bad to you, then you do something good back to them. It's like heaping coals of fire on their head. Good deeds are a weapon. Another weapon is praise. Because when you're under attack, the last thing you want to do is lift your hand and praise God and thank God for all the good things He's done for you. But it is a spiritual weapon. Prayer, praise, good deeds to the person that's done bad things to you. I was in the midst of this pity party today. I was ready to resign. I was finished. God, I'm done. I'm out of here. You take over. You find somebody else. I'm done. I've had it. And I went and had one last thing to do, and it was to call this church in Joplin <laughs> that we're going to send money to. And I got somebody from the church on the phone, and they started crying when I told them what we were going to send them. But I don't tell them what they've been through. I got off the phone, and I said, God... You played a dirty trick on me. Here I thought I was just making this last phone call and I was going to turn everything over to you and I'm done. Now don't look at me like that. You felt that way too. (laughs) Say, Pastor, I sure we do. But somehow, getting my eyes off of me and on someone else with a greater need brought me out of where I was. Spiritual weapons. My brethren, do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And the way we handle it is to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. All of heaven stands behind you. But in the middle of a battle with the devil, especially if you're fighting people, You don't see God standing there with you and you don't feel God standing there with you. And that's why you've got to spend time in what this thing says and you've got to start speaking what God says about it and not what you think or what you feel or what Sister Whatchamacallit says about it. 
Because when you speak this word, you agree with what God says about it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.